Hello, and welcome to episode 118 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. I'm your host, David, and with me are the crew, Richard. Hello. <laughs> You're still on my bit now. <laughs> Luke. Aha, uh-huh. knowing me, harshest critic, knowing you, knowing you, nerd culture, nerd culture lights, aha. Uh-huh. And hey, Chris. Ever? No, that is uh, Alan like Partridge. Me? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's okay, I, I went Abra as well, so don't worry. <laughs> knowing knowing me, knowing you. Uh, well, Luke does have the Abba beard happening. He does, he does have the Abba beard. The, He's a uh, sexy man. For the rest of the episode, we should prefer to him as Benny. <laughs> but why, yeah. why not Frida? <laughs> Agnetha. <laughs> Agnetha never had a beard. Out of, fi- out of five Fridas. <laughs> Here's Agnetha, the world's harshest critic. <laughs> That actually sounds kind of good. Actually, <laughs> actually that sounds pretty good. It's like a, like a fantasy day. <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, episode 118. So this is uh, so due to um, the swapping around of, of the episodes and stuff from New York uh, Comic Con and our trip and stuff, uh, the the boys would normally be on uh, the even, on, on the odd episodes, but now they're swapped to the even episodes. because so. we, we missed an episode. Yeah. We're slackers. I didn't, I didn't have a chance to explain that during the... Episode 116, when the boys were on, because of our special guests uh, from the roast. So, uh, but uh, that's that's basically what's happened. If anyone's a bit confused about it, I'm confused. Trust me, I'm very confused about the whole thing. It's and crazy. So we, we, we just say, missed we, an episode, and we say per to you know prime numbers now. So, yeah. <laughs> see now you know the even episodes. Uh, so yeah, so this is uh, the Triumph for Return of the Dust Jacket for, uh, episode for everybody who's uh, missing those. Um, I know I was. So we're going to have uh, two dust jackets. Uh, the first one's going to be Richo and myself, uh, and we're going to be doing Flowers for Algernon, and Luke and Crystal will be doing Half Past Human. Now, I'm probably going to pronounce it Algernon, because that's just how I pronounced it, mm. but I'm probably wrong. I'm pretty sure they actually pronounce it in the film, Algernon. Ah, uh, see, so I haven't seen the film, but we'll, well talk actually, about There's like five minute. different films, so it depends which one you're talking about. Uh, the uh, Matthew Modine one, Awful. I'm thinking of the classic Charlie, uh, Charlie. Charlie yeah. with Charlie. Cliff Robertson, the Academy Award-winning performance. Great stuff. Anyway. I actually tried to track that down in order to sort of watch it, you know, before this episode, but unfortunately, I couldn't find a copy. So, what can you do? What can you do? <laughs> so we'll stick to the book instead because that's what it's about, really. <laughs> that's, right. that's what Dust Jacket is. And then, uh, and then uh, the second half of the episode will be our top five favorite child films from our childhood so not necessarily films that came out during our childhood but films that we loved during our childhood and watched like a hundred times at least cool so let's start off with uh, dust jacket okay uh flowers for algernon you can have to algernon i don't care no 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 algernon works for me (laughs) flowers for algernon um is a novel by daniel keys that was published in uh, 1966. Um, it actually began life as a short story, which was published in 1959. And uh, the interesting thing is the short story uh, actually won the Hugo Award for Best Short Story in 1960. And then the novel won the Nebula Award uh, in 1966. So he's actually doubled up by writing the same story twice. It's that good. Pretty impressive. He cheated. That's basically what he did. That's right. <laughs> um and uh, it, should, it should also be pointed out that uh, it was actually a joint winner of the 66th Nebula Award with um, a book called Babel 17. Cool. Which is going to be our next book. Awesome. So why not? Because that's how we do this. I'm excited. I haven't, I haven't read it, so I'm, I'm excited to read it. Files Falconon tells the story of Charlie Gordon, who is, well, they use the word retarded in this book a lot, but 
politically correct, we don't use that term anymore, but he has an IQ of 68. And he participates in an experiment uh, to enhance his intelligence. And the experiment is successful. And he begins to get smarter and smarter until he reaches the genius level. Three times the amount, isn't it? Like 186 or something. Yeah. But um, reaching genius levels, um, a couple of things happen to him. First of all, he finds himself as alienated, if not more alienated from those around him than he was when he had an IQ of 68. He finds that gaining intelligence is... uh, It's not really the the sort of happiness that he was looking for. The happiness that he was... After still eludes him, um, even as a genius. Yeah. So um, when he when he when he was at, at the IQ of sixty eight, he, he was trying to better himself. Like he was yeah. going, he was trying to learn to read and write and stuff like that. And mm. you know, and he thought he had friends in in his workmates and stuff like that. But then when he his IQ increases, he finds that the workmates weren't his friends at all. They were basically picking on him because they were basically just picking on him. Yeah. And he also finds that he's now sort of emotionally stunted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He he, ga- he gains. Um, you know, he gains actual intelligence, but not the emotional intelligence to come with that. And he begins to delve into his past. And like 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 a lot of books from this era, he's trying to find his place in the universe, who he is, what his identity is. And But he's, he's feeling that sense of um, isolation and alienation that is really such an integral part, pretty much, of the New Wave books. Um, uh, Charlie's, in, in some respects, Charlie's character reminds me a little, and I know... Dave's going to hate this, but reminds me a little bit of um, uh, it's Valentine, isn't it, mm. from Stranger in a Strange Land? In that sense of now, <laughs> let, let me finish. In that sense of somebody who's who comes into a world, you know, culturally naive and um, you know is trying to search for his place in that world. Now, obviously, they're very different stories, and they go in a very different directions. I was actually thinking you reminded me of the monkey in Futurama. <laughs> with that, with that. <laughs> I think that actually is a play. It's a, it's I think a play the monkey's name book. actually is Charlie. Is Charlie? Could be yeah. wrong. <laughs> well, the Simpsons guys did this several, this story several times. With um, yeah, the alcoholic guy. But you mean Barney? Yeah, Barney. Barney oh, stops, no, drink, stops drinking and becomes like a super intelligent. They also, did it with Homer. Yeah, they did it with Homer as well. Oh, right. Where he has the crayon in bed. They yeah, the crayon, crayon in bed in his brain, and they take it out and. He becomes intelligent, and um, I just I just want to point out that you're, I think your comparison was actually was spot on. Yeah, I just I just can't like, say like, like, so much. <laughs> I just don't like it even be brought up. This, 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 these kind of themes are, are very common in the in the new wave. Yeah, um, we've mentioned the new wave quite a few quite a few times. When does that when did that actually start? From my, from my reading, there isn't uh, a strict starting point. It's so it wasn't like, like Harlan Ellison's first book was the start of the new wave, was no, it? No, well, Harlan Ellison, you know, wrote short stories. A lot of people um, generally go towards the, um, the the very late 50s, with the middle 50s sort of being a, a, pr- a staging ground for it. Gotcha. And the, um, then with things like Michael Moorcock on If. Oh, yeah. Um, as being, you know, one of the British ones, and I forget one of the forerunners for the uh, the American ones as it's it's around that period gotcha but there's no strict starting point oh the new wave starts here with this book um, and ends with this book it's sort of like a a wave of motion I guess there's a clean sleep from the golden age through the you know the 50s then into the 60s itself nice and there's our resident expert <laughs> Wikipedia <laughs> Ma- making it like, unlike comics where, where basically the silver age started with the flash issue mm. and sort of where it, like, that's what I think even that's thinking, debatable no, no, I know it's kind of it's debatable, but it's it's fairly standard. That's what it is. So yeah. I was just thinking, is there like a book for, for that yeah. starts? Not, not, oh, not, yeah, cool. not that I'm aware of. You know, you all remember that a lot of the, a lot of this stuff. You know, as pointed out with Lyle's Val for Algernon, 
you know, it all starts off in, you know, short stories or novella forms. Yeah. yeah. And in the get, magazines. And in stuff. the magazines, and then gets published later on. So a lot of stuff that, you know, things like June got published in the late 40s. But it's, and it's one of the seminal New Wave books, but it doesn't actually get published as a book till 62. So. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about being published, I do like that uh, when he was trying to get this published, they kept wanting him to change the ending to a happy ending. Yes. And yes. he's like, it just keeps refusing. He's like, sticks to his guns, which I like about it. It's one of the, one of the main yeah. things I like about him. And uh, eventually well, it got published in the form that it is. Well, that's... that's Spoiler alert, it's not a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of things that um, impressed me with this novel. First of all, Charlie is an incredibly sympathetic character. Right, right from the start, you actually do become, I think, really emotionally invested in him as a character. And, you know, as you go through the highs and lows, you, you sort of, you, it's written in a way that you experience it that. Because it, it's written in the first person, for starters, as a series of um, reports that Charlie is writing about his experiences so that the scientists who have worked on him can then use that for their research. Um, but, yeah, I found that... Um, yeah, I, I was very. I, I became very heavily invested in this story, and um, it's a very real character. It is, and I felt. I must admit, I felt um, quite saddened at the end. Like you know, so you know, starting to feel the emotion of it all as you as you really? get to those That's awesome. pages. Um, That's cool. And salty um, emissions. <laughs> <laughs> what are these salty emissions? Yeah. And uh, um, Brian, think... no, <laughs> sorry, stop it. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, I think that the point you made earlier, it's, it's, he's a very real character and it's, he exists in a very real world. And that connection that he has to Algonon, I think, is quite moving as well. And the, the, the way their, I guess, their relationship develops. But also his, his relationship with um, Alice Kidian, who is his teacher when he has the low IQ. She teaches at a special school. I found that relationship actually quite fascinating and emotional and, and painful for Charlie because that's trying to deal with the emotional connection with her is I, I suppose where you really see his lack of emotional development mm. but I think all, all of that reality probably comes from um, Daniel Key's background yeah uh, the story developed because he was he was actually teaching special needs kids and um, what he was finding was you know there were kids in his class who were trying very hard to learn but they would then go away for holidays and when they came back all of that knowledge that they had gained would then be lost and they just couldn't retain anything um and that's part of of charlie's problem as well but you know you, you, you're sort of drawn in by the naivety of charlie you know he he thinks he has these wonderful friends but they're actually people who treat him really quite badly yeah it's there's not a huge amount of um plot to this story like it's 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 really a character study. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's more about what he's going through and the emotions that that's invoking and the memories that are coming back to him more than any actual like story plot points that are that are driving the character. Yeah, it's um. It, I, I I totally agree. It's, it's the, I mean, I, one of the the relationship with with Alice is obviously is is one of the highlights. Of it, but uh, what I really like going back to what you're talking about the way that's that it's written in it's written in the first person. One of the things I like is that at the start of the book. There's actually spelling errors, yeah. And there's like there's punctuation mistakes, grammatical mistakes, and so as as the the book goes on, as he becomes more intelligent, the writing becomes a lot tighter and yeah. and and you know better formatted. Yeah. And then without trying to give anything away, that you know that sort of then changes again. And yeah. uh, and I just I just I thought that was, I just I love that sort of stuff. I, I, yeah. You know, I just I love there's, the attention to detail. 
There is a wonderful and actually quite funny moment in, in that regard where he first uh, learns what punctuation is yeah. and he starts putting commas like after every Everything. word and, um, <laughs> and he gets very excited about that and then the next report says has him sort of saying, oh, I'm an idiot. I didn't realise that that's not how you meant to do it. And so, so you actually see that learning process. And, um, and yeah, it, it can be very funny and as I said, it can also be really quite sad and painful and uh, yeah, difficult. Yeah, as well. I read this book uh, in school for school, and uh, it was was it was one of those few <laughs> books that get foisted on you that I actually you know actually didn't mind. I actually enjoyed it. You know, it's, it was it uh, it was a joy to read, and it was a joy to to revisit it. And uh, unlike Richard, I actually did manage to track down <laughs> a copy of uh, Charlie, oh, yes. and uh, it's just magnificent at performance. Interestingly, along those lines, what you're saying about the book being foisted uh, <laughs> upon, upon children, it is one that is very commonly studied in schools. However, and yeah, a lot of backlash. However, yeah, it, it actually, the American Library Association released their list of the, uh, no, I've got to get this word right, the 100 most frequently challenged books. Yeah. And um, this was actually at number 43. Yeah. And, um, it's an, and it's mainly because of the relationship he has uh, because he has so much trouble with Alice he has a relationship with another girl who yeah. you would commonly refer to as a loose woman I suppose Faye. Yeah. yeah and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with their relationship in any way but because he's learning about himself and about sexuality and sensuality and stuff like that there's a couple of passages in there that some small minded people have decided <laughs> are no good and well, so it gets challenged that's yeah. it's bizarre the uh, book was actually removed from um, like grade 9 curriculum in Calgary of all places because a parent complained that it was, and this is a quote, filthy and immoral. <laughs> and I can honestly say I, I did not get a sense of any immorality or filthiness about it at all. Yeah, but, that's right. Um, so. People who find time to their opinions. Yeah, so as you say, this is um, yeah, this has been a hugely influential book um, and inspired the movie Charlie and apparently a version with Matthew Modine as well. <laughs> Terrible! Avoid! Yeah, that came out Early, uh, I don't know when it came out. Two thousands, yeah, or late, very, very late nineties or early two thousands. He's just very good. Thank God he wasn't cast as Doctor Strange. I'm just telling you that. Um, yeah, apparently the short story was also um, uh, filmed as a television, like a teledrama. Oh, cool. Called the Two Worlds of Charlie Gordon, which interestingly enough, stars the same guy from also Charlie. stars Cliff Robinson. <laughs> Cliff Robinson, that's right. Yeah, there you um, go. I didn't even, why did I not make that connection? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, Dave. I quite like this. Um, it's it was really good to to revisit this book. It should be taught to school kids around the world. I mean, it is, uh, it's an important an important book about how important it is to love yourself for who you are. And uh, I give it four out of five looks. Well, yeah. four out of five freedoms as we yeah, <laughs> four, four out of five agnesis <laughs> as we discussed. Um, you know, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah, it you know it, the way that it deals with mental illness. Um, as you say, the the search for understanding of who you are and the quest for happiness. And, um, yeah, I, I agree. This is an incredibly powerful book. And I also would give it four Agnethas. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So that's uh, Flowers for Algernon. Algernon. <laughs> Algernon. <laughs> I admit my folly and mistakes. No, no you could be right. Who knows? And, uh, Algernon is, in English, it is typically pronounced Algernon. Yeah. That's right. I'm, I'm look, not speaking look, English. I'm if, speaking Swahili, and it's Elvin. No, you're speaking they, American. That's what you're speaking. American. American. If that's how they, if that's how they, if that's how they pronounce it in the movie, no, I'm going okay. to go with yeah. that. That's yeah. right. That's fine. Cool. So next up, we've got Half Past Human with uh, Luke and Crystal.
Cool. Okay, A Half Past Human was um, my choice. And I chose it partly because it was a book that I'd recently read um, and quite liked. So, you know, spoiler alert right there. Um, one of the nice things about the current reissues of the, of the SF Masterworks by Victor Galant is that unlike the previous run where they went for the classics, they've actually tried very hard to um, publish stuff that you might have fallen a bit under the radar due to the passage of time. Oh, uh, cool. Um, and that's that's how, and that's how I discovered this. Um, I love these SF Masterworks business. Mm. Uh, dude, there's a lot of, lot of good stuff out there. And, you know, like I said, they're actually publishing a lot more stuff that um, isn't considered, you know, you know, canon, but is still um, quite interesting and thought-provoking. This was published in 1971. T.J. Bass is actually stands for Thomas Joseph Bassler, and he was um, a pathologist in the 60s. You can tell. And you can tell because it's a very medically driven book. Um, the story is basically, basically is where humanity has evolved to the point where it's split off into two divergent paths. One, which is the, um, the path with um, a group of humans called the Nebish, um, who live in a constructed society underground called the Hive, um, where we have evolved into basically um, four-fingered, four-toe pieces of ectoplasm. We are still, you know, we still have, you know, vegetation. How far in the future is this meant to be? Pretty far in the future. Oh, okay. Um, That's what Coca-Cola does to you. Yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, where we, you know, we live, in, we live underground. We are very reliant on technology, muscle tone, and... Um, very, very weak, short, become, yeah, very weak, pale. very thin. Oh, they're not all thin. Not all thin, but they are. You know, it's they've, they lose a lot of think. Think, um, think humanity in Wally, yeah, to a certain to a certain degree. Um, but we um, also there are no animals in the future, and so we actually survive off the proteins of dead humans. Yeah, they get mushed down. It's all the green business. Them's them's yeah, green. except it's not a secret. <laughs> except it's not a secret. It's actually um, well established and um, encouraged. You know, you die almost, almost a bit like Logan's Run. You die, and you get broken down so that the um, the rest of the hive can. Yeah. Um, so the lifespan's not great either. Mm. They're old, you're old if mm. you're 27. The re- the other branch of humanity they're called the Buckeyes, in which they um, actually do live on the outside, um, and they set, uh, they are more in line with you know the idea of the noble savage. Well, the Buckeyes are just the males. There's the cowies mm. as well. Oh, the cowies as well, but the um, we've actually. <laughs> There's a branch of humanity that's actually um, gone. And we can talk a bit about that because one of the... Ken McLeod in his introduction actually talks about the one flaw in the book, which I want to talk about later on. But, you know, we've, you know we live tribally. We live off the land. We are actually a lot more fit and a lot stronger. The thing there... That's smarter. And How do you live off the land if there's no animals? Um, You're just all vegetarians? Yeah. Oh, okay. With, with also, with, but with some carnivorous... You know, occasionally they would actually eat each other as well and the occasional rat they might find so small vestiges of um, animal life still do exist but not in greater abundance yeah there's gotcha. mussels and mm. shellfish right however um, the hive is actually a little bit perturbed to learn because the hive also hunts the bark eyes and the cow eyes the hive is actually quite <laughs> perturbed to learn um, that the bark eyes and the cow eyes the tribes are actually starting to come together and that there's actually a guiding force behind them and they're a bit worried that this could actually reflect badly on them and they might have you know a major conflict that they might not be able to deal with and so they send out a person called Moses Eppendorf to go and investigate which is strange because he's not actually the character we get introduced to at the start we actually get introduced to a character called Tinker who's actually a technician for the hive rises up through the ranks has promised a um, a woman to um, to mate with who 
find it a bit difficult because there is actually a, a familial, a, an actual attraction between the two, which is sort of almost frowned upon in the hive. But he also begins to see, you know, the thing that are going on outside in the world as well, and actually leaves the hive itself to go and join these tribes in an attempt to find out what's going on. But he leaves the hive. The, the impetus for that is that in order to protect the unauthorized child. Mm. Yes, that's true as well. Yeah. You know, How does he survive outside? In like a suit or some kind? Ba- or? Barely. Barely. Um, oh, okay. It turns out, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but he has the five-toed gene, which mm. means he can survive outside once his skin's toughened up and he builds mm. some muscle tone. I'm um, intrigued. And the reason why I bring that up is because um, this is actually a collection of... Not, not a collection, but it is a, it is a you know a typical science fiction fix-up. It is two short stories, one called Half Past Human and the other called Gita, G-I-T-A-R, an acronym, mixed together to create one novel. Um, and so that sort of explains why Tinker is at the start of the story, but Moses Eppendorf um, actually proceeds to carry the, the majority of the rest of the novel. And I, I, I kind of actually liked kind of actually liked that it made the, the novel... It didn't mean that the novel was set in one place... It meant that there was, you know, something else going on and he was trying to use different characters to do different things. Moses actually, without really giving it away, Moses actually sort of takes on, you know, a more religious cult leader aspect, like, you know, um, Moses of um, Old Testament fame. Um, As to the hive people or to the plains people? To the hive people. Okay, cool. As in in to the end of the hive people, because he actually does inspire them. Once he works out or kind of sees what's going on in the wider world. It does actually affect him. And the other the other thing that actually affects him is his relationship with a, um, a piece of tech called Toothpick, which is effectively just one long stick. So he's basically Moses. Yeah. As in, it, it's not actually... It's not all that... When, <laughs> it's once you realize that it's a slap not, in the face. But it's not... You, I wasn't sitting there going, oh my God, it's just a religious analogy. Yeah, it's yeah, actually quite interesting. Because cool. it, it doesn't... It, it takes him a while to actually, to, um, to actually become... Become that character, cool. um, and it's his relationship with um, a couple of people he meets along the way, and also Toothpick, who actually really encourages it to the point where it gets a bit scary to actually go along that path. I don't want to say too much because the ending is actually quite interesting. Um, the, um, the high people and the the buck guys and cowboys, some of them, some of the high people also worship the same deity as the outside mm. people. The deity's name is Olga. Mm. Thought I'd throw that not, out of there. Not, not Agnetha. No, not Agnetha. Olga. What were they think? That's pretty much my bit. Do you have anything that you want to... Well, I know Luke loves a book that has little to no exposition. Mm. I think this book could have used a little bit more exposition at the start. I found it a bit hard. The first chapter is a little hard to penetrate because it's it's so entrenched in its own world-building that you've got to sort of get in there and work out what's going on with mm. the with the, the with the characters and the and the people, um, and I found the characters a little flat, to be honest. Um, I did read a review somewhere that the character of Tinker and the character of Moses is basically the same person. Mm. Uh, uh, he, the reviewer felt like that um, because the author needed to the character to do different things, which were so far apart that that he's just split the characters, which kind of rang a bit true but um at the end you, you can see differentiation between the two characters mm. but could it, you say that the flatness 
of the characters might actually be representative in, of the hive. intentional of the hive itself. Yes, but um, then you've also got the outside characters. Uh, there's a there's another character that we haven't mentioned yet called Moon, mm. who is a two hundred year old man, and he's two hundred year old years old because somewhere in his past that he was experimented, him and his dog were experimented on, and he just lives and lives and lives. And he's a five toed, mm. and he just wanders the earth, dodging the hunters and stealing food where he can. And he's actually the one who originally found Toothpick. And his character's, well, I would expect it to be a bit more interesting because he's been out and seen the world, and not, but he's, he's kind of a bit flat as well. And um, it's probably up to me to point out that no um, no strong female characters. And that was that was actually one of the things that I wanted to yeah. talk about. In Ken McLeod's um, introduction to the book, he actually says that the um, big weakness of, of the story really mm. is... Um, the the use of women they are I, they are really there just to be sex objects for um, well not the necessarily men. the the cow eyes uh, use the men as sex objects and then disappear but that's just that they are there you know sex is the, purely you know, to procreate purely to procreate yeah. not um, actually any strong um, yeah. characterization um, for yeah. men in the book and, um, and it's a bit of a shame because the character of Murin and the character of I've forgotten her name, the the philosopher girl. Yeah. They both could have been much stronger characters. Mm. Um, but then you've also got to bear in mind with that one, and this is not to excuse it, but, you know, this is written in the you know, the late 60s where from a, a guy in, from a, you know, someone who was in his 40s there, so yeah. whilst there was, you know, major upheaval and, you know, the rise of feminism... Still entrenched in a Still entrenched in... Still entrenched in a very patriarchal yeah. um, sensibility, so I think... Well, like I said, not to excuse it, but that's probably the perspective he was writing from. Mm. Um, but I do actually agree. I think mm. that's you know the if you're going to talk about humanity as a whole, then you need yeah um, some you need to actually have a, st- a stronger female presence. Yeah. I think. I think the fact that it was a mix-up worked to a bit to its detriment because it didn't. This is there wasn't no overarching sort of plot. It sort of sometimes meandered mm. in places and just sort of felt its way through. The fact that he's a doctor meant that he felt the need to use a lot of medical jargon in just describing sort of everyday sort of mm. stuff. You know, instead of saying he'd broken his arm, he'd, you know, he talked about femurs and give specific names for different body parts. And there was a lot of passages where um, if somebody had been injured, he would talk at length about the injury and how it had affected the body. And I found that a bit... Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind. I didn't mind the technical aspect, but you know the the long passages. Of, yeah, the long passages, mm. and some of the characters using these terminology you wouldn't expect would know. I mean, they, none of them had been educated as doctors, as far as I could tell. But then I thought maybe it's just a, a comment on the society that they all mm. just know that. I don't know. Mm. The other thing that I really liked was the um, the use of technology as well. We become reliant on technology, um, and to some extent, it's become our masters. But mm. we've also kind of become its masters as well. Mm. So um, the, the hive is governed by something called the bigger ears, mm. which is Earth society. Mm. So it, in its way, even though you say that the author's in his 40s and he's sort of entrenched in that sort of era, it's also talking about um, the hippie movement and love mm. and, and, you know, um, defy authority, think for yourself, mm. that sort of business. So, like, you know, again, back to what, you know, almost uh, flowers for Algonon. Um, it's a very, very much a part, a very much a, a new wave type sensibility. In in some respects, it's, it's, it's a very, uh, very typical science fiction plot, overarching, almost um, uh, oppressive uh, regime, and then you know, 
a couple it's, little guys decide yeah. to react against it. It's not quite the the galvanize. They know these guys aren't quite the galvanizing force that, yeah. uh, the force that um say Logan. Logan is. It's kind of a hippified version mm. of 1984. Yeah. <laughs> plus, with, plus, yeah. That, that, that's a that's a perfectly valid comment. Um, but with the, the sen- kind of with the sense that, you know, not as bleak. Not a, not quite as bleak, <laughs> but they might not be entirely successful as well in yeah. what they want to do. Yeah. Um, like I said, I don't want to really talk about the ending because the ending is it, the ending is actually um, is actually quite interesting. But yeah, no, I actually yeah. I actually did enjoy the book. Yeah. Um, I didn't find the ending as interesting as Luke. I did. I did find the revelation at the end to be fascinating. Um, of what you know, it, it did tie everything together nicely, which I didn't expect because the book didn't feel like it was going to be tied together so well at the end. Like I said, really enjoyed it. Um, I give this three and a half Luke's. I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as Luke. In fact, after the first chapter, I thought it was the most boring thing I've ever read in my life. Well, that was it. That's an exaggeration, but that's how I felt at the time. Um, it did, I mean, there were aspects of it that were quite fascinating, but I did, just didn't engage with the characters enough to make me want to keep reading. The, so I kept reading because I needed to read it for the podcast. But I'm glad I did finish it because, as I said, the end was quite fascinating in how it tied it all together. And it was a good. It was a good ending. I, I find a lot of books sort of leave you wanting like one more little chapter just to close it off properly. But this sort of it felt mm. felt like a nice ending. Mm. So I would give it a two. Yeah, because of the ending, I, it was, it was, I would give it a bit less if it didn't end as well. Mm. Oh, cool. So that's that's uh, two great reviews, if I do say so myself. <laughs> so uh so next dust jacket which will be four weeks from now so episode 122 uh we're gonna have another one from sci-fi list so richard yeah we'll be doing babel 17 the co-winner of the nebula award because amongst other things it'd be interesting to do a comparison between the two as well yeah, so why, cool. not? Why, yeah, not? <laughs> why not why not and uh the next pick uh, from the crew is crystal and crystal's chosen i will be doing the sacrifice which is the first book of the fae by christine catherine rush Awesome. Sweet. So look out for those ones uh, in that episode. So next up, we've got our top five favourite films from our childhood. So uh, let's let's start with Crystal. Now, the, the, the usual nerd culture podcast dilemma, do I do them one to five or five to one? Five to one. <laughs> five to one? Okay. You can do them any way you bloody well want because you're lovely. Does that mean there's favouritism going on here? There is favouritism, young Luke. Uh, <laughs> well, at number five, since uh, Richo decreed that we start at number five. Yes, let's start at number five. It was a Richo decree. At number five, the Parent Trap, uh, the Haley Mills version. When I was a child, um, every Sunday night was Disney on Channel 7, I believe. Yeah, Channel yep. 7. And, and uh, Sunday Disney night. Yep. You would get half of a movie because kids have to go to bed early on mm-hmm. Sunday nights, you know, school the next day, and the following Sunday you would get the rest of the movie. One of these was The Parent Trap starring Hayley Mills, um, and I believe the father in the movie was Brian Keith. Yes. Yep. Yes. <laughs> when Crystal uh, and I were talking about this last night, she was like, the father was Brian Keith. And she's like, but Brian Keith, you know who this guy is? <laughs> she looked up and found a picture of his death. And yes, yeah. I do know who Brian Keith is. Once I pointed out Hardcastle McCormick, he's going, oh, that guy. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you need to point out Hardcastle McCormick is sad in and of itself. It's <laughs> <laughs> a cool show. Yeah, maybe not. So, yeah, I just remember, well, but that's representative of the movies I enjoyed, the Disney movies I enjoyed of a Sunday night. Now, the listeners will know I'm not a huge Disney fan, but I did like those. And, and there was something about sort of getting into it and you've got to wait a whole week to see the rest of it. You know, there was no fast track from the US. No, <laughs> no TV binging back then. But there was video. We didn't have a video recorder. Ah. Yeah, we weren't rich like you. Yeah. No, this was, this was, <laughs> this was, I, believe, I think I saw this very early 80s, maybe even late 70s. Hmm. Number four on the list, Ghostbusters. No, I won't go into great detail. We've spoken about Ghostbusters before, but it had to go on the list because the, the trauma of not being able to see it at the pictures. <laughs> and, and the joy I saw I, it at the pictures. The joy <laughs> when I finally saw it. And for the same reason, number one, two, three, three on my list. <laughs> Superman the movie. The only Superman movie you should ever have to see. It makes it sound really ominous. <laughs> the only Superman movie you will see. If Christopher Reeve is not playing Superman, then it's just too bad. So sad. I agree with that. Although I would include Superman 2 because Superman 2 has you know some really good stuff in it as well. Well, that falls into Christopher's category because you know, still got Christopher Reeve in it, mm. so therefore it's okay. You're allowed to watch that one. But you're allowed to, but you have to watch Superman the movie first. Well, yeah, because that sets up what goes on in Superman 2. Yes. <laughs> not that there's a huge leap if you haven't. No, true. It replays the whole film in the first five minutes. True. <laughs> Come on. Number two on my list, The Never Ending Story, which uh, I loved as a kid. Not sure I could sit through it now, but uh, I just loved the idea of a never ending story. And uh... I actually went to see that recently at the Astor. Yeah. Really? And yeah. it's, I'll tell you now, it's still awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it's actually much darker than I remembered it being from when I was a kid. Like, it's there actually, you go. It's quite a bleak story at the yes. end of the day. They'll call the uh, flying... Luck dragon. dragon. Luck dragon. dragon, yep. My favourite character in that movie. And number one on my list, childhood movies, it has to be The Labyrinth. I believe I talked about that in the last episode, so I won't go into any detail here, just to say that, you know, it's my top childhood movie. Nothing beats David Bowie in tights. <laughs> I think that's actually what you said in the last episode. You mentioned the tights. I mentioned, I, I the, mentioned, I mentioned the cod piece. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Moving on. So Fascinating uh, how all the men are interested in the cod piece. And I went for the hair. <laughs> oh, the hair as well. Let's just, uh, let's just move, work, work our way around the table. Next up, Richard. My uh, number five film is actually Gidra the Three-Headed Monster. It's a childhood film. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um... This is the... I'm sorry, you've got all the Godzillas on there. Well, the, the interesting thing is, um, this was actually the first Godzilla film I ever saw. It's fifth in the series. First Godzilla film I ever saw. The first, you know, you know, giant Japanese monster film I ever saw. Because for some reason, this film got played every single school holidays. Wow. Without fail. Cool. And um, really, it's, it's responsible for my love of Godzilla and of giant monsters fighting one another. Because, you know, you get, you get basically Ghidra, the... King Ghidra, the three-headed monster, and, um, you know, fighting Rodan and Mothra and Godzilla, who then also, like, before that, were fighting one another. So, like, this film doesn't doesn't waste time with too much of a human story. It's like, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the thing about an alien princess from Venus and who takes the possession of another princess from Earth who dies in a plane crash, but, but really, it's just, you know, just all-out giant monster action. Just fantastic loved it as a kid um 
Yeah, funnily enough, it was that and the old 40s Batman serial that they edited together into a film. Those two, were, without fail, were shown during every single school holidays period. Awesome. My number four film is The Adventures of Robin Hood, with the classic with um, Errol Flynn. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, you got, got a problem with that, son? Oh, I'm just not a fan. Let's, you know, let's, let's like delve too deeply into it. Let me guess for you, it's yikes! Yeah. Anyway! This is just awesome adventure film, and um, every single time it was on, my parents were generous enough to let me actually stay up and watch it, because I just loved it so much, and still has my absolute favourite sword fight of all time. Musical sword fight. And, uh, yes, and you're just wrong. I said it's an awesome sword fight. How can we run? No, you said the film was bad, though. You didn't like it. I said no. I'm not a fan. I didn't say the film was bad. <laughs> it starts Australia's own. That's true. That's right. He was the man. Tasmania's own. <laughs> My number three film is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Awesome. Which... My God, we 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 actually we did get a, a, a video recorder. Oh, so you're the Wish family. <laughs> pretty early. We got ours in about eighty two, I suppose, eighty two, eighty three, and um, this was one of the first films we ever recorded off the TV. And I, I swear, within about within about four years, I think the tape was unwatchable. We just watched <laughs> watched it so many times. It's awesome. Um, that I didn't see at the pictures, but I did see Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom when we were taken as an end of year trip for grade six. Cool, okay, awesome, golly, because yeah. <laughs> so, what you want to show your primary school kids is <laughs> the guy getting his heart ripped out and the eyeball soup. I didn't when they cut open the, the snake and all the little snakes slip out. I'm like, oh, it's <laughs> also you know the little kid being tortured. Yeah, yeah. Having said that, like I did see Raiders of the Lost Ark at the cinemas, and that did include, you know, melting heads and a guy getting killed through propellers from a plane. And, but um, yeah. yeah, just it was just my favourite like big adventure movie. Um, okay, my number two choice is uh, Jason and the Argonauts. I, I I grew up reading you know mythology books and and things like that, and um, yeah, this this film just solidified my love for Greek mythology and. For Ray Harryhausen, and really, it's just it's just awesome. And the master Talos is just the most the most magnificent thing I think I ever saw on on screen. As a kid. Medusa all the way, Medusa, but Medusa was um, Clash of the Titans. Oh, that's right, Clash of the Titans. Yeah. You're so right. I've got that on my list too. Which is, which, is, which is not as good a film as <laughs> it's uh, not as good as film. Let's be honest. Amazing true. special effects. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um, Talos is cool. And look, my number one choice is the most obvious choice in the world, um, Star Wars. I saw Star Wars when at the cinema when I was three, and then at the drive-in when I was four, and I'd say I probably saw it a hundred times before I was, like, twelve. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it was just the film that we... Like, I, there, were, there were periods there where I was watching uh, Star Wars at least once a week. There's only one reason why it wasn't on my list. Because yes. we've devoted three episodes yeah. to it. Yeah, I think so. We've, yeah. Enough and, said about Star Wars. And, and I knew <laughs> uh, it'll, it would be on at least one other crew member's yeah. list. Well, it's, 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 I mean, oh, it's, it's impossible to say. Yeah. It, it's impossible not to include it. Like, yes. And not, not just for the film itself, but I had all the books and the action figures and the play sets and <laughs> a, a towel. I had the, the towels and, yeah, we had the, the plush sheets. toys. The sheets the, sheets. I had the punching bag, the R2-D2 punching bag. And, um, like, we just had it all. <laughs> Moving on. Um, okay, my number five choice is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
Um, I was eight years old when Turtles actually, for, when the cartoon was released. Um, so too young for the comic, but um, uh, but when Turtle Mania actually hit in '90, um, I was the right age for it. And you know, like him with Star Wars, had you know, t-shirts, had the toys, um, watched the cartoon. Um, I sort of picture you sitting on the couch wearing a Turtles t-shirt, drinking the Turtles drink thing that you used to get from the fish and chip shop, mm-hmm. watching the turtles. <laughs> Tell me that's true. Not quite in that order, but yes, had a turtle jumper, which I wore <laughs> religiously. Yes, whenever we had fish and chips, would have uh, Leonardo lemonade, because Leonardo was my favourite, and you know, would watch the cartoon religiously. <laughs> so not all three sitting at, in the one point, but at various points, yes, you are correct. Um, and, you know, right. w- naturally watch the film over and over again, you know, in spite of its... Have you seen the new one? No. I refuse to see the new one. The, the old, let's be, to be fair... The original is not a brilliant film. <laughs> no, it's it's actually terrible. It's terrible. Um, but, you it's know, still better, though. But, you know, constant action. The turtles are recognisable as characters. You know, the reasons why I like the why I like the cartoon show, I could see in, you know, the film itself. You know, But the difference here being that, you know, they actually got to be a bit more violent. So my number four choice is the 66 Batman film. Watched it a lot as a kid. Probably, watched, and watched it more as a kid than, say, the Tim Burton film, which I actually saw at the cinema. Yeah. But because it's, you know, a darker film and actually not aimed at kids probably didn't watch it anywhere near as much um, but the, the Adam West version you could you know kids could actually watch it because it's cleaner it's light hearted and I mean no, no, to a kid you know the camp the camp doesn't come oh. across no 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 it's, um, it's awesome fun but, but it's still very funny and you know um, constantly moving so that's my number four choice my number three choice is the Wind in the Willows section because there were two Wind in the Willows adaptations that I saw, watched religiously as kids. One was the Rankin and Bass one from the 70s, which had Roddy McDowell playing the voice of Ratty, um, which is a you know a musical version of the story, but um, still quite an entertaining um, uh, jolly ride. But the one that I really loved, is the, which is technically a telly movie, was the Cosgrove Hall um, mid-80s um, stop-motion animation, which had David Jason as Toad and Peter Salas as... Um, as Ratty. Loved that when I was a kid. The animation is spot on. Characters were, were wonderful, particularly Toad. And Win in the Willows itself is just a brilliant tale. And so yeah, Win in the Willows is actually a large part of my childhood. You know, the idyllic nature. I can't actually talk about it enough. My number two choice is the animated Transformers movie. Awesome! I can quote... Galvatron! I can quote Every almost every single line. Me too. Um, <laughs> watched it over and over again. That's my favorite. That's my favorite scene. It's actually like Megatron. Mm. Wrong. Galvatron. <laughs> here's a here's a hint. Here's a hint. <laughs> um, and to be fair, when I first watched it, was actually quite scared and couldn't watch it for a couple of years because of Unicron. No, because of things. Because it's a lot more violent than the cartoon. You know, Starscream being murdered by Galvatron in quite a brutal way. Um, the death awesome of, way. The death of Optimus Prime and Megatron. You know, we didn't see large scale destruction like that on the cartoon. So I was actually, yeah. you know, quite upset by by some of it. So you know, for a lot period there, I actually didn't watch it until you know maybe two or three years later. And went, no, this is actually cool, and I'm going to watch it as often as I can until you know my brain overloads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it became a constant. Constant in my childhood. The only um, bad bit of that film is the only bad bit is the dare to be stupid Junker Con sequence. Terrible, terrible. It the the, the plot does grind to a halt. It's just it's stop, it stops dead. The plot does grind to a halt. I love, I love me some weird owl, but oh my god, that's terrible. You got to see Springer. You know, have a sword fight. With I can't believe that school. is not on my list. I'm, just, I'm ashamed. Um, and num- my number one choice is um, is Return of the Jedi. The reason why it's not Star Wars is because I is because Return of the Jedi is 
the end of everything. And so you get things like the concluding fight with Vader and um, and things like that. So I probably watched that more because you got you know the triumph of good over evil, Luke Skywalker beating Vader at the end. So I watched it more that more than Star Wars itself. I prefer Star Wars as a film, but I could kind of get into Return of the Jedi more. I sometimes forget that you're significantly younger than us. Mm. <laughs> so it sometimes eludes me for some reason. I mean, not so, I mean, not, you're not twelve, but I mean, mm. you just I mean, you are clearly younger than us. So yeah. All your choices were all the sort of stuff that I saw that I was I was a teenager yeah. and or a young man, and mm. so yeah. it didn't even really even, even occur to me to have mm. like the turtles, and stuff, mm. which I loved. Also, Casey Jones print. But you know, there you go, awesome. Yeah, great list. There you go. Cool. And uh, it's interesting. I actually found this really hard to do. Um, I just as I was researching it. Um, I mean, of course, I, I mean, I'll, I'll start uh, straight from the top. Obviously, Back to the Future is my number one. and But the rest of it I just found really, really hard to sort of get a handle on because there was just so many films yeah. from my childhood. Like, I, I didn't... When I was quite younger, I was a bit, I was quite introverted, and so films were, you know, films and TV and stuff was a little like my escape, and, and you know, that were my friends, and, you know, I'm not saying I didn't have any friends. I was a complete loser. But, you know, I, just, it just, I spent a lot of time watching movies. It was, it was basically my life. I think researching it was probably your downfall. I didn't do any easy way. I just did the top five I could think of. Because if I, if I had gone in and researched, mm. it would have taken me hours. So, which one do I choose? Well, I, I wish you would have told me a couple. Uh, told me that yesterday, about four hours before I started, because it, <laughs> it took me bloody ages. So I'll go there. So the reason I just I wanted to say that is because I mean my top five are pretty obvious. Um, mm. Anybody who's listened to the show would know what they would be. Um, like I said, Back to the Future is number one. But my Honorable mentions goes for a page and a half because mm. um, it's just yeah. it was just as I was reading through it was just so many that I was like oh that's got to be on the list and it's like oh my god that was awesome actually it was so it was so bad that actually while I was researching the reason it took even longer than it should have was because I actually came out and watched some of them <laughs> <laughs> so you know that'll give you yeah. an idea I can understand that I actually I, I I had like three or four solidified pretty quickly yeah and then about. 30 other films that I was thinking of, of, of choosing for the for the final slots. So, yeah. yeah. But then I actually, as I do with a lot of these lists, I actually thought, well, Dave's going to do Back to the Future, so I won't worry about that. Yeah. Somebody will do Superman, so I'll leave Superman out for now. Yeah, and- see, that's smart. See, I, I'm not. I'm obviously not as smart as all you go, you people, so you're all fired. Get off. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so, so my top five, I'll do from five to one, like everybody else, but number five, I've got The Muppet Movie, um, just because... You know, the Muppets are brilliant. I yep. mean, I love the TV show, the chance to actually see them on the big screen. And I did actually see it on the big screen. To this day, the opening sequence of Kermit in the swamp singing the Rainbow, Rainbow Connection, Connection. Yep. Um, is just, it still brings a tear to my eye. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, number four, I've got the three Indiana Jones films. I don't count number four. Um, so Raiders, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade, they're all, they're all brilliant. But number four's got one name in it. Okay, it's terrible. Also, <laughs> uh, oh, so you weren't a kid when number yeah, four yeah, came out. That's a good point. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it, for every for every reason that Richard already said, that Raiders is is brilliance, um, and the other the other two are Fun. almost equal, but you know, and but also still broke. Uh, at number three, I've got all three Superman films. Now I put all three in there because yes, we all acknowledge that Superman one and two, are, you know, the superior films, mm. um, but three is what like. Luke was saying with Return of the Jedi, 3 mm. is actually the one that I saw the most mm. as a wow. kid. Um, and uh, I saw it when it first came out, and it was actually my introduction to uh, Richard Pryor, which is a, which is going to come up again later on. Um, so it's it was kind of weird. So it's, And I, actually, I didn't mind the comedy, you know I mean? I, I, it all kind of worked for me. I was a kid, so what do you want? Um, so that's why I put all three of them in there. Now, of course, I acknowledge that it's terrible, but, you know, as a kid, it was awesome stuff. Um, and it does still have 
Superman versus Clark Kent. Yeah, which is still which is still magnificent. Uh, and a bit where he's in the bar and being yeah. just a total jerk. As brick. a kid, I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, oh, well, there you go. See, I didn't. Uh, and number two, I've got the three Star Wars films, the original trilogy. So Star Wars: Empire Return. Everybody knows that Empire is my favourite, um, but you can't deny you know the the brilliance of both Star Wars and Return of the Jedi. And I put them all together because to me they were a full you know they were the full event, the full package, the full package. And like I said, number one is of course. The brilliance of Back to the Future. I hear nothing, nothing less of anything else. Yeah, the right. the original prior thing I want to bring up is because one of the films that in my uh, honourable mentions is Stir Crazy, and uh, the other one, uh, which then sort of carries on as so the Gene Wilder connection to Sherlock Holmes' younger brother. Now I wanted to bring both of those up because, like I said, Superman Three was my introduction to the, the genius Richard Pryor, um, and I then then saw him later on. I don't know if, which one came out first, but I then saw him later on in Stir Crazy which I just think is hilarious. Um, and so when I found out <laughs> Richard Pryor's stand-up stuff, I was actually quite shocked. <laughs> like, not because of what he was talking about, because, you know, I was, I was you know, a kid of the streets, so I knew what he, was ta- what he was talking about, but just, because I just sort of, I knew he sort of, he sort of Gene Wilder slash Superman sort of persona, you know, toys and all that sort of rubbish. It's just when I saw, like, the actual stand-up stuff, which is just genius um, it was actually quite shocking for me. So it was a, a big moment for my childhood, actually. Um, and then, of course, I realised where Eddie Murphy gets all of his material from. Um, so, oh. uh, so <laughs> at least his earlier material. Don't get wrong, that bit earlier Eddie Murphy was awesome. Um, but the reason I, I wanted to, that sort of the connection to uh, the Sherlock Holmes' younger brother is, I remember loving that film as a kid. Um, I just absolutely loved it. And uh, uh, I watched, that was one of the films that I actually watched while I was researching this. I was like, oh, this is brilliant stuff. And uh, I watched it again, and and you just can't go back to your childhood because it's awful. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so unfunny that actually I felt bad <laughs> for, for, so for watching it again. So it's uh, anyway. That, that inspires a new top five topic films that you thought were brilliant as a child that don't stand the test of time. Don't stand the test of time. I've, yeah. I've got to say, I've got a fair few. Yeah, there's a, there's a few of those. <laughs> well, it's, it's sort of a classic story. We, we, we've mentioned our friend Aaron on the show before, and. Uh, he uh, he and I have a sort of a classic story. We watched a film from our childhood called Maximum Overdrive, yeah. um, which we remember being you know brilliant. And uh, we watched it again as, as sort of you know young adult sort of stuff at a sleepover. And and oh my god, it was so bad. <laughs> it's actually really yeah. it's really boring. Yeah. That was the thing I found. I remember being yeah, he apologised. <laughs> I remember being terrifying as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was watching it as an adult. It's like. Hang on a second. This is really, really dull. <laughs> and we, no, and we like, all know how Luke feels about He-Man. Like I said, <laughs> well, honorable mentions go for like a page and a half, so I won't have all of them. But I'll just I'll throw some highlights at you: Clash of the Titans, Labyrinth, The Fox and the Hound. If you don't cry during The Fox and the Hound, you're yeah, not here. Never seen it. The Disney Alice in Wonderland. Um, yep. I'm also a fan of the television Alice in Wonderland event, not the more recent crappy one like the yeah the, the one you're talking the about, the eighties one. Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. As Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, yeah, yep. good stuff. Uh, Mr. Mum. Oh, awesome. <laughs> oh, one of the other ones I watched again last night. Hilarious. Breakdance, which is what it was called in Australia, but in America it was called Breakin'. Um, one of the classics. What, what about Breakdance 2? Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolute rubbish. <laughs> but Breaker was hilarious. Uh, a John Claude Van Damme cameo. Check it out. Um, Electric Dreams. <laughs> terrible <laughs> film. It, it's, it's a terrible film. The Terminator. Uh, John Cusack's genius Better Off Dead. Oh, that uh, is a classic. Commando. <laughs> Commando. The Herbie films, Herbie Goes Bananas, Rides Again, and Monte Carlo. All brilliant. <laughs> no. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> uh, just throw some, throw some more out there. Uh, Condor Man. Condor Man Condor is awesome. Man. I love that film. The Dark Crystal, yep. The Land Before Time. 
Yep. Uh, Enter the Dragon, Tron, the Black Hole. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I'm not, you, you, you and I, are, you and I are the same age, and I've got to say that a lot of these were on my, like Tron, especially Tron, almost made it in. Yeah, I have to say, I got confused because I was actually thinking of um, the land that time land forgot, time forgot <laughs> which is also on here. Yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> uh, Freaky Friday, Annie, Grease, The Wiz, Star oh, Trek Two, Poltergeist, oh. Conan. I've got Annie twice for some strange reason. Creep show, the pirate movie. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, you said I've got Annie twice. Creep show. <laughs> I'll take creep show. Um, one, and, I think. and of course, yes. they're crazy. So it's and there's there's more on here, but we haven't got all day. So it's I mean it's just I I really loved doing this top five, and I'm actually going to now watch some more of this stuff, this classic stuff. And uh, thanks for everybody else for doing it, and uh, thanks for listening to us. So that's our top five. Let us know yours. Uh, really, it, this seems to be a topic that sort of fires people's uh, imaginations and memories. So uh, if you've got your five you know, classics from your childhood, just whatever you thought was your, your favourites from your childhood, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, so let's uh, finish up with Coming Soon. For Australian Cinemas, November 27, we get Fat Pizza versus The Housos, I think you pronounce it. Thumbs down. Anyway. I don't even know what that is, and I don't really... Uh, fat p- the pizza and houses are comedy done by Paulie... What's his face? Paul Fennick, I think. Paul Fennick's night. Yeah. Um, Paul Fennick. There is two big shows, and he's done. The, he had the uber-original idea of combining the two to create oh, one. Oh, is this is in the, sh- the shows that won SBS? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Men, Women and Children, which is uh, Jason Reitman's uh, next film, which is based on a book. Uh, it's basically just, you know... The things that we do in our private lives, sort of blah blah. blah. Anyway, mm-hmm. nothing has been done before. We finally get Nightcrawler, which is yeah, uh, been out in the states for a bit, and uh, we actually uh, young Cam also re- uh, reviewed it on the website. So check it out; he, he thinks it's awesome. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I think it looks mad. Uh, Particle Fever, which is a documentary on the creation of the Super Collider. Cool. Uh, Serena, which is Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper team up to be. A married couple who build a timber empire. Don't care. How many films have they been in together now? Just the two. Well, three. Three. Three, yeah. Exactly. Three now. Actually, yeah, you're no, right. Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three. Is this David American Russell? Hustle, yeah? Yeah, American Hustle and Civil Lines, please. Civil Lines, yeah. is, this David, is this a film by David Russell? Don't know. Don't cool. care. Uh, the one I love, a surreal romantic comedy. Looks boring. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it, actually. That's, that's, that's the one. So, uh, no, not, not, a lot, not a lot coming out this Okay, week. it's November. Yeah, they're November's waiting, not the big deal. They're all waiting for, you know, Christmas. December December yeah. when they can Funnily release. Funnily enough, just, to, just as an aside, on the 4th of December, we get Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, which actually came out while we were in New York, mm-hmm. which came out before Nightcrawler. So we get... Uh, what's the deal with that? It's kids always, film. Man. Come on, people. Yeah, kids, kids film for the school holidays. Uh, anyway. Look terrible as well. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's it for the show. It's, uh, it's, um, a a great episode I thought and uh, thank you very much for joining in and uh, yeah let us know about your top 5 childhood films that'd be awesome to read see if there's anything that we didn't have out on, li- on our list I doubt it's not on my list because it's Page and Huff <laughs> but uh, it'd be cool to hear it unless they're actually substantially younger or older than you in which case they might have completely that'd be cool like someone like substantially older than us with all their favourite if you're films. substantially older than us please <laughs> <laughs> so people that got stuff like I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. So it's uh, for me. Oh, hell. For me, oh hell, man! <laughs> nice moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for me and the crew, Richard. That's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> Look.
too old for Land Before Time. You're never too old for Land Before Time. Hey, Crystal. Cowabunga, dude. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can write on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.